there's a little bit of tension in my house earlier this summer. I know I'm a pastor, and, and there's tension in my house. But you know what's even worse is it was my fault. Last seven weeks, Nicole and I and the girls have been living up at, at camp and coming home on the weekends, which sounds fun, and it has been in, in many, many ways. We love our camp. Problem is, is I hadn't seen the kids or Nicole very much. If, if I wasn't doing something around camp, I was in like a cabin writing or on a phone call. Uh, even during mealtime, Nicole and the girls would be at a table, and I would be a few tables over with the summer staff or a team. And Nicole, graciously, one night, she said to me, she said, babe, I think you overcommitted. Like, you got your job at church, and then you got camp stuff, and then you keep on taking these side projects for when we go back on the weekends, you know, like radio and, and writing. Can you just start saying no to some stuff, honey? No, I didn't like hearing that. Deep down, I knew she was right, but still, like, I could prove her wrong. I could show her that I can handle it. Like, little does she know, she married Superman here. Meanwhile, I had barely put the kids to bed lately. I hadn't had more than a few meals with them all summer. My interactions with my kids and with my wife were very hurried, very rushed, very distracted. Like, my family was getting garbage time, like a few distracted, hurried minutes here and there. God was getting garbage time. You know, same thing, rushed devos and distracted prayer. You know, it wasn't like the end of the world, but it, it certainly wasn't good. And then I ran across this quote. I don't know who said it, but it was like the, a punch in the gut. It was a, the punch in the gut that I needed, and maybe you need it too. It says this, if you can't rest from it, then you're a slave to it. Like that which you can't rest from, you're a slave to. It kind of bites, doesn't it? Truth is, I, I couldn't rest from my routine. Like, my routine was king. I got sermons to prep, and I got radio spots to edit, and I got meetings to run, and I got problems to solve. Like, the people, oh, they need me. It was my routine. It was my pride that became king of my life. I was a slave to it all, to my routine. And it was costing me more than I thought. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just me, though. I, I think there's some area in your life where this is ringing true. There is something that you, you can't take a break from. Isn't there? Case in point, can't rest from our phones. Now, come on, you've already checked it a few times during the service, and as soon as I start boring you, you're going to check your phone again, which will be soon. We're slaves to our phones. Some of us can't rest from work, like the emails and the phone calls and the meetings, and we're constantly thinking about work. Our mind is always on work. Like, in some ways, you're not a professional, you're a slave. You're a professional slave. If you can't rest from online shopping, if you can't rest from the TV, if you can't rest from sports, you're a slave to it. We've all become enslaved to different things. Schedules, routines, work, sports, meetings, the screens. Like, sure, we're the land of the free. But the truth is, we're not so free at all. And, and this is why God did what he did. As the greatness of Egypt fades on the horizon, the, the Israelites are just now tasting freedom for the first time. you got to remember they're a hard-working people. They had to be. The stripes on their back are proof of their hard work. They've worked from sun up to sun down no matter the day. They know work. But now they are free as they leave Egypt. And if anyone is susceptible to becoming workaholics, it's the people of Israel. It's them. Work doesn't bother them. And now <clears throat> their work yields something that they never had before. Personal progress. Wealth. Like at this point, the people of Israel are at extreme risk of doing what we've done, enslaving ourselves to work 
and routines and dreams. See, this is why God wrote what he wrote. This, is, this was for them. Ah, oh, but it's, it's for you. It's for me. It's for us. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find ourselves today. Exodus chapter 20, I really hope you grab a Bible as we can all be on the same page at the same time. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're at. Let me pray and we'll jump right into this. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this, this book. And God, as we've been studying this book this summer and theology is just pouring out of this book as you introduce yourself to your people and, and we need this. We needed this this summer. God, you have something big for us today. I pray that we don't miss it. May you eliminate all distractions and really focus in on you through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Friday. There's an indescribable anticipation and excitement that seems to hang in the air. Israelite wives gather in the marketplace. They're more cheerful than usual. Each scans the tables with a little smile, looking to buy the family's favorite fruits and vegetables and spices and wineskin. Maybe I'll take two wineskins, actually. Like tonight is everyone's favorite night. Their favorite meal will be served at each table across town. Today, the kids run through the streets with a louder giggle. It's every kid's favorite day of the week, the night of plenty of food, the evening with mom and dad relaxing, and for 24 hours, it's just going to be them as a family together, enjoying each other. The wives bring food home from the marketplace, they set the table, the special candles are taken off the shelf and they're placed on the, the centerpiece of the table, the bowls, the plates, the cups. It's this table the family has their mind on today. Because it's this table that is the finish line for their week. All the men off in the fields are finishing the fishing on the boats or, or building the roads. As they finish their work, there's this eagerness in their work today. Because it's just a few more hours until I'm at that table. It's just a few more hours of work and I'll be with my girl and I'll be with my kids around that table. I can't wait to get to that table. As soon as the sun begins to set, oh, there's nothing like a town on the night of Shabbat. The, the smell of the fresh bread welcomes families in. The, the simmering soups, the cooked spiced meat, the, the aroma makes its way down the alleyways. But it's not just the smell, it's the indescribable feel. Everyone's in a good mood. I mean, the shopkeeps are whistling as they lock their, their shops. The men return from the fields with laughter. They're all crossing the week's finish line together as a community. As the savory smelling streets begin to darken, the dining rooms become illuminated with Shabbat candles. As the marketplace quiets, the tables throughout the town come to life. See, tonight we dine. Tonight we think nothing of work. Tonight we laugh. Tonight we reflect. Tonight we connect. Tonight we enjoy our blessings. Tonight is the night. It's what everybody has been looking forward to all week. Oh, there is nothing like a town on the night of Shabbat. It is a gift. It brings families together. It, it connects creation with creator. It stirs a sense of gratitude in the community. There is nothing like a town on the night of Shabbat. And deep down, you long for this night, for that finish line, for that table, for that food, for that connection, for that rest. It's a craving in your soul. You were designed with it. It came from God himself. 
We need to unpack that more because this could change your life. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day. As a, as a kid, I grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, uh, went to church all the time. And this commandment to me, I, I thought it just meant, you know, you should be in church. And I was in church. I mean, there's like, you know, that day that you're supposed to keep holy, and you go to church, and you dress up, and you be holy. So here I am, I'm in church, check. It's not really what this means. Sabbath here, uh, which is the word, is this the word Shabbat, Sabbath, Shabbat, same thing. It just, it just means the seventh day. Seventh day stop, really. The, the last day in a seven-day cycle, which is really interesting. Research shows that we live our lives in, in seven-day cycles. It's pretty fascinating, actually, if you, look at the, if you look into it. Like, biologically, our body has physical seven-day rhythms. Uh, our circulatory system, so like our, our blood pressure, red blood cell count, our body temperature. Research shows that uh, seven-day rhythms, that there are seven-day rhythms to the ebb and flow of our bodies, the, the regulation of our bodies. But it's not just our bodies. We've also found that in the animal world, there are seven-day rhythms, uh, research has, has found that uh, the behavior of animals, the migration, the nesting, the mating, it all seems to fall within the seven-day rhythm. You think about it, like our society, really our planet, operates within seven-day cycles. It took God seven days to create this, and it's as if God coded that rhythm into the DNA of the universe. And we're still operating that way. We count our work hours by weeks. You know, I have 40 hours this week. We count our pregnancies by weeks. I'm 30 weeks along. Our, our educational system is, has weekly rhythms. Our lives, for the most part, are patterned in seven-day rhythms. And so God says here in Exodus 20, verse 8, he says, on that seventh day, I want to give you a gift. Every seventh day, I want to give you a gift. Shabbat. Stop. Break the routine and just Stop. That's what Shabbat means. Stop. Just as God rested on the seventh day after six days of creation, so God asks you to do the same thing. Take the rhythm that I took. Bust your butt for six days. Create, build, manage, progress. But on that seventh day, I want you to cross that finish line, and I want you to Shabbat. I want you to stop. Sabbath is a finish line that God asks you to include in your seven-day rhythm. But there's more to it than that, actually far more. The two main parts of Shabbat or, or Sabbath is rest and worship. Rest and worship, which seem to be very different, separate activities, rest and worship, very different. But Shabbat or, or Sabbath is the bringing of these two things, rest and worship, together to be worshipful rest. That sounds very odd, isn't it? But if we can get this, it is, it is incredible. So let's unpack this a little bit more. Worship, and we've talked about this in the series already this summer, but worship is the surrendering of control and focusing our attention on God. Which when we actually do that, not like sitting there or standing there and mumbling a few worship songs, but actually surrendering and focusing our hearts on Him, what follows from that worship is this deep state of rest. So I, I can't control everything, but my Creator can. And my creator is, and my trust is in him. And so I can sit back today and rest in that and take a step back, enjoy my blessings from my creator, reset my perspective, and rest in that. 
I think of a lot like our, our ropes course at, at our, our camp. We have a, an obstacle course that is suspended about 25 feet in the air. And we had some middle schoolers come this last week. Um, it's been great. Uh, the middle schoolers are, are awesome. Love the middle schoolers at our church. But it, and it's funny, at the bottom of the ropes course, they talk all tough. You know, like, oh, that's, that's, that's the height. I could do it like 10 times higher than that. But as soon as they get off the zip line and they step on the platform, they're like shaking and they're freaking out. And so I set them up, you know, I got the safety ropes and the carabiners, and, I, and they're all harnessed in, and, and, and so I'm telling them what to do, and, and, uh, and it's hilarious to watch them at first, because they're grabbing a hold of the ropes, and they're grabbing a hold of me, and they're grabbing a hold of the platform, and they're just freaking out. What's funny, what's funny is nothing they're doing is actually making a difference, though, as they're freaking out and grabbing a hold of the ropes. But they're tiring themselves out, trying to control their safety, holding on to me, holding on to the ropes, holding on to the post, holding on to the platform, and so periodically, I'll, I'll stop them, and I'll say, hey, just for one second, I want you to just let go. Like, no, no, Junior, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't. Hey, hey hold on. Just, just let go of the ropes for a second. Let go of me. Let go of the platform, and just sit in your harness. I'm trying to show them that their harness can hold them just fine. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them will take me up on this, and, and they'll just stop, and they'll let go, and they'll just sit in their harness. And after a few minutes, they'll say, almost always, they'll say, wow, I feel relaxed. Well, they feel relaxed because they just realized the ropes got them. They can trust the ropes. They went from gripping tight to being very peaceful and just sitting back. This is the idea of Sabbath. This is the idea of Shabbat. God says, I want you to just stop. You're trying to control everything. You're trying to control your money, your family, your career, your activities, your friendships. You're gripping everything so tight. You're exhausting yourself. Can you just Shabbat? Can you stop? Sit down. Look at me. Remind yourself of your trust in me. That's worship. And it's that that brings you into this deep state of relaxation. Okay. I'm okay. We're okay. We're having fun. God's in control. And I'm relaxed. Can you remember the last time you felt that? Like, like deeply felt that? Because my guess is you're living life like those middle schoolers up on the ropes course. You're, you're, you're freaking out trying to control every single aspect of your life. Keeping your job. Keeping the kids alive. Keeping money in the bank, keeping friendships, keeping your image up to date. You're all tense, you're wired up, you're losing focus, you're losing perspective, you're having no fun, you have a short fuse, you're not the best you, and there's something missing. I think it's your Sabbath. See, this command is God coming over to us and saying, hey, every seven days, sit down, chill out, worship, surrender, put your trust in me. And then experience a rest that you need in your seven-day cycle. I was studying a little bit of the uh, Orthodox tradition. And uh, the Orthodox tradition, they explain Sabbath as a day where you let your soul, or you allow your soul to catch up with your body. can't really defend that with Scripture, and maybe that feels a little bit New Age-ish. But, but I, it's an interesting thought. I actually kind of like that. Because you think about your life is just go, 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 freaking out, trying to control everything. And Shabbat is that day where you stop, you allow your soul to catch up with your body, and you remind yourself who's really in control here. And God says, would you just stop? Would you Shabbat one day? Problem is, is we can't Sabbath. 
Because we feel like if I take a day off, I'm going to get behind. If I stop, my world will come crashing down. I'll get behind. But the opposite of that is actually true. There's a, there's a story of a, a wagon train of, of Christians uh, going from St. Louis to Oregon is the, the Oregon Trail. Remember playing that computer game? Uh, I remember playing it growing up. It was the worst game ever. It was like, you got dysentery. Game over. I hated that game. This is literally, though, like the Christian, the, the Christian Oregon, Oregon Trail version. And as they were on their travels each Sunday, the, the whole train of Christians, they would stop and they would observe Sabbath. They would worship and they would just stay parked. They'd let the kids run and the parents would just kind of sit back and they would just stop. Every seventh day, they would stop their journey. Well, as winter approached, the Christians began to fear that they wouldn't make it to their destination before the snow hit, and that's a big problem. And so some members proposed that they stop stopping every seventh day, that they stop observing Sabbath and just keep traveling until they reach their destination, which makes sense. Half the group refused to do this. And after the disagreement, they decided to divide. One group would stop every seventh day and rest and observe Sabbath. Uh, the other group would power through to get there quicker. Which group do you think reached Oregon the first. It was the Sabbath-observing group. Both the people and the horses were well-rested, and they were far more efficient the other six days of travel. See, there's something to this command. God knows what he's doing. Why do we refuse? So I want you to remember that seventh day, I want you to remember that stop in the seventh day. Keep it holy. Maybe your translation might say, uh, make it holy. Some translations say that. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I see a phrase like this, make something holy, I, I just think of like a religious ritual. You know, it's like, okay, so every seventh day we're supposed to be somber and boring and, I don't know, even spooky. And to be honest, I have no interest in making one day a week boring and somber. Like, nobody's got time for that. But again, that's not, that's not what this means. Holy means set apart. It means, it means different. It's not... Make this day formal. Make this day traditional. Make this day ritualistic. It's literally, just make the day special. Make it a party. This is not a chore. This is actually a lot of fun. Because there's room for creativity when we look at making something holy. Set it apart. Looks different depending on the family. It looks different depending on the house. But just set it apart. Make it a special day. Make it fun. Really what God is saying here is, just make it a day that you look forward to. Every seventh day, make it a day that you look forward to. Uh, when, when Nicole and I, when we observe Shabbat, we, we observe it um, Saturday night to, uh, to Sunday night. That's our day. When the sun goes down on, on Saturday, Shabbat starts, or Sabbath starts, and when the sun goes down on Sunday, it, it ends. And so that's just our day. And ideally, we'll, we'll do chores on Saturday, and we anticipate the evening. Because when the evening hits, Man, the house is going to be clean, it's going to smell like food, the table's going to be full, and then we're just going to relax. And we don't do anything too crazy, like we, we have, a, we have a, a special candle holder that I found in, in Jerusalem um, that we set out on our table, and I'll read a, a special Shabbat prayer, a Sabbath prayer, and, and we try to make the food, like a, the food, a, a meal that the girls really look forward to, one of their favorite meals. And as we eat, we'll play some worship music. I have a special Spotify Shabbat playlist. We play that. And then after the meal, we, we watch a movie and we, we, we play a game after. And then on Sunday, we go to church. We worship corporately because that's a big deal. We'll talk about that in just a second. But we'll worship. And then nothing is planned after. Like when I get home from church, I have no idea what I'm going to do. It's, it's fantastic. I need that. Like we might grill out. 
We might sit outside and just read. We might go to the lake, but nothing is on the calendar. There's no checklist. It is a special day where we're able to actually rest. And then when the sun goes down on, on Sunday, we hit the ground running with getting ready for Monday morning. That's just us. Uh, we're not always great at it. You know, we go through seasons where we might miss it. And when we do miss it, it really does affect our family. But that's just us. There's a million ways to do this. I have, I have friends who, who get certain smelling candles, very uh, special smelling candles and unique tasting food for their Sabbath meal, just to invade the senses that, oh, okay, this smells like Sabbath. This tastes like Sabbath. This isn't like the other six days. This is, this is set apart. And my wife and I, we might incorporate that into, into our meal. I, I know families who make it a thing, you know, every, everybody helps making the Sabbath meal. And the, everybody does it together. I know families who do, we just do carry-out. That's like our, our night for carry-out. Some do big dinners. Some do really easy dinners. Some enjoy nature after worship. Some enjoy visiting family members after worship. This can look different depending on the house, but God says, can you just set it apart? Can you take that day and set it apart? Make it something that you look forward to as a person or as a family, as a household. Have that finish line that you can run up hard to. And then I want you to stop. Again, why don't we do this? Like for God to give us a fun rule, take one day, make it special, make it a party. Why would we ignore that? Continues on verse 9, he says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. God is not advocating for laziness. Scripture is very clear about working and how we work. A value for Christians is working hard. Something that we should not abandon today. We work hard. We bust our butt. We work with excellence. We go after it. We wear ourselves out. We run hard right up to the finish line. We take our work seriously, but then we take our finish line just as seriously on that seventh day. Continues on in verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Uh, being in the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem during the start of Sabbath is an incredible experience. Uh, they owned this verse, and they just shut down. I was at the Wailing Wall as the sun set on the night of, of a Shabbat. Was, the Wailing Wall is like this um, it's a big open plaza. I didn't realize it was, it was Shabbat. As the sun began to set, the plaza began to fill. Shopkeepers and soldiers and rabbis and men and, and women. And suddenly the place just erupted into dance. Like people were putting their arms around my shoulder and dancing and circling up and chanting and the kids were laughing and waving flags. It was like this huge celebration as they all crossed the finish line together. And then everything just shut down. Stores, restaurants, exhibits, empty. It was an unreal experience. It was God's idea. Could you actually do that? You should. You were made to. For some reason, we push against this. Even the Israelites did, which is why chapters later, God confronts Israel about their failure to follow his Sabbath command. In fact, check this out. This is 11 chapters later in Exodus 31. He says, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now, this is an interesting verse right here. So let's just unpack this a little bit more. God says that Sabbath is a sign between me and you. What, what does that mean, a sign? A sign of what? It's a sign of a covenant. See, God isn't just serious about Shabbat because he knows that we're better when there's a break in our seven-day cycle. And he's not just serious about Sabbath because it's an act of trust. 
He's also serious about Sabbath because it's a sign that God's people were his people. It's a sign that just as God has set us apart and made us special, made us holy, so we do that with one day. Set it aside and make it special to remind ourselves whose we are. This is the day we remind ourselves intentionally this is whose we are. It's a sign of our relationship with God. Which when you really sit in that, you realize Sabbath is a far, far bigger deal than we might think. This isn't just like a day off. Nah, it's deeper than that. In fact, the next verse speaks to that. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, which I hope you do, verse 14, it's a serious verse. God says, use the death penalty. If, if people are going to profane the Sabbath, use the death penalty. If they refuse to take a break, remove them from community. They're not part of the community if they take one day. Wow, that's serious. Maybe it even feels a little too far. But God says, that's our covenant. And if you're going to breach our covenant, if you're going to forget to rest in me, if you're going to forget to put your trust in me, if you're going to not enjoy your blessings, then what's going on here? Are you really my people? Now, we don't hold to this punishment because Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. We are not under the law. And so you skipping Sabbath is not going to result in church discipline. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Theologically speaking, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It is in Jesus that we stop our toil. It is in Jesus that he takes our burdens. It's Jesus that gives us peace. Jesus' yoke is light. Jesus is our Sabbath. But that doesn't mean the benefits, the sacredness, the specialness of traditional Shabbat is void. It was a big deal to God. God instituted it for a reason. It's the one commandment that we tend not to want to follow. It should matter to us. Three observations, and these are in your notes. Three observations. Number one, the stop matters. The stop matters. The University of Chicago has been doing research on the effects of a finish line on us. You know, like in a race, you know, if you're running a marathon, if you're in a triathlon, runners or, or c- competitors actually speed their pace up once the finish line is in view. They, they've noticed this. Research has also found that that actually translates into life. When there's a goal, a finish line, you know, you got vacation coming up or something like that, we tend to speed up our work, we tend to push harder until we're able to cross that finish line. It's kind of like, you ever, uh, you ever go to, like, a coffee shop and you get one of those, uh, those stamp cards, you know? If you buy ten coffees, you get one free. And when our card has eight stamps on it, we get more coffee than usual just to finish up that stamp card to get our free coffee. I, was, I noticed this with my, my brother-in-law. We went to a place, and I got one of those stamp cards, and I was like, dude, put your purchase on my card. I was like going back just to get that, that free purchase. Like there's something about a finish line reaching that goal that makes us push harder to get up to the finish line. This is why the, the Sabbath-observing team finished the Oregon Trail first. They went harder because they knew Sabbath is just ahead. We can push hard up until then, and then we can rest and push hard once again. This stop matters. It pushes our efficiency, but it also builds our trust. Okay, God, this is is an act of faith. I'm not in control. I'm going to let go of the ropes here, and this is just in your hands. It doesn't just help us physically. It helps us spiritually. It builds our faith. Can you stop? Can you Shabbat? Your creator designed you to. If you think about it, to say something like, you know, I don't need the Shabbat. I know other people need a Sabbath. Other people need that break in the seven-day cycle, but I'm good. I don't need that. In some ways, that's like saying, I'm better than God. God rested on the seventh day, but ah, I don't need to. No, the stop matters. Guard it. Keep it holy, because you will be tempted to compromise it. 
It was Corey Ten Boom who said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And some of our sin, come on, this is just true, and maybe you're just realizing it now, but some of our sin is that it's just busyness, trying to control, not stopping to worship and rest in him. And as a result, you've lost vision. Spiritually, you're not doing as well. You've lost perspective. Your routine is king, and you're simply a slave to that which you can't rest from. To stop, it matters. Secondly, number two, the table matters. Your table matters. Throughout Scripture, the table is seen as a place of blessing. The psalmist writes, you prepare a table for me. Revelation speaks of a banquet in God's presence with tables. Like the table matters. It's it's where connection takes place. It's where brokenness is revealed as we discuss our days with each other. It's, It's where blessing happens. It's at the table. We have so much research on the importance of dinner tables, especially, especially for families. As a, as a kid that grows up consistently eating dinner with family, is far less likely to suffer from anxiety. That's just statistically true. Far less likely to develop eating disorders and far less likely to abuse substances. Studies also show that a family that eats together tends toward better grades in school, healthier friendships outside of the home, and long-term, the kids seem to stay connected with each other and with their parents more when the family grows up eating together. Just by getting around a dinner table, not sitting in front of a screen or a bunch of screens, but looking at each other and talking and eating together, there's something about that. See, just as the marriage bed is sacred, it unites a husband and a wife, so a family table is also sacred. It unites family members together. It's where memories are made and shared. It's where hearts are revealed. It's where kids share their problems and the parents help them process it. I mean, this is a precious, precious time. The table matters. And we live in a society where it's just go, 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 and we eat on the go or in front of screens. But there's got to be at least, at the very least, there's got to be that one night Sabbath meal where it is sacred. It is part of the family rhythm. Saturday nights, our family is eating and connecting and we're partying and we're having fun. Make it so that the kids will miss it. When the kids go off to college, they're sitting in their dorm room Saturday night going, I know what my family's doing right now. Ah, they're lighting the candles and they're eating some good food. Ah, and I miss it. And I miss them. That keeps kids around. I was talking to a guy who, uh, who said he, he had left the faith for, for a while uh, after he left the home. He left the faith for a while. He said, one of the things that brought me back was every Saturday night I just thought, my family's gathering around the table. And I've left. And I want to get back to that table. See, tradition was and still is the dinner table. That's the finish line. That's the party that kicks off the worship and the relaxation. The night you should bought, make that table mandatory, make that table special, something you look forward to. If you're single, make it something for just you to look forward to or invite other people over. But somehow, have that meal that you look forward to every week and then guard it. That's our time. This is our party. This is our finish line. And dang it, nothing's going to get in the way of our Shabbat meal. The table matters. And then number three, the worship matters. The worship matters. Oh, make no mistake, Scripture is not pushing you to be lazy one day a week. It's, it's, it's corporate worship. It's pure, intentional worship that brings you into deep rest. It's Sabbath. I love what Augustine wrote. This is Augustine right here. He looks like a guy who needs a little bit of a Sabbath. <laughs> he wrote this. He wrote, our heart is restless until it rests in you. See, corporate worship 
What we do inside the church building, the gathering of God's people, is what brings us into rest. Corporate worship. See, we live in a very individualistic society. The idea of community today is very shallow. We're very individualistic, and we try to worship God that way. It's why church attendance has dropped significantly over the last few decades, and, and it's, it's only getting worse. Because corporate worship, the ecclesia, which is the gathering of God's people, has become less of a priority to us. It just doesn't matter to us as it once did. You know, I can be a Christian and not be part of the church. I don't know. I don't know. The church is the bride of Christ. Our faith is very communal. I don't know you can say that too easily. I mean, if you were to go back in time and really visit the early church, we'd be blown away. Because the early church, their life, their routines, their relationships was built around the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. It was everything to them. It's why Hebrews, in Hebrews it writes, don't forsake the ecclesia, don't forsake the assembly. It is a big deal. And side note, parents in here, if corporate worship is second priority to you, it'll likely be fourth priority to your children. It might not even be a priority to your grandchildren. Worship matters. It's the recalibration of our heart. It's where we give up control. It's where our soul is fed. It's this that we were made for. Worship, true intentional worship, brings us into rest. And God says, just Shabbat, stop. Stop the work, stop the pursuit, stop the shopping, stop the scrolling, just stop. Your body needs it, your heart needs it, your soul needs it. So just stop. Turn your attention and affection to corporate worship to God, and enter that rest. Then on Monday, hit the ground running. But live with that finish line. It's that that brings creation closer to creator. It's that that gives us energy. It's that that gives us vision. And it fills you. But you will miss it if you just run right through. I love Jesus' take on, on Sabbath. Jesus loves Sabbath. And Jesus grew up, uh, you know, he's grown up as a boy. A town in the night of Shabbat, as we talked about earlier, that was Jesus' experience. Jesus knew that feel. Jesus loved it. Now, it did become a point of with, contention with the religious leaders. The, the religious crew observed Sabbath so well, so meticulously, that they just sucked all the fun right out of it. And Jesus wanted to bring a bit of that joy, a bit of that party back into Sabbath, which ruffled some of the religious crew's feathers. In fact, he, he said this to him. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The second part of this verse was to the religious. They, they ruined Sabbath. It was no fun. It was just boring, religious, empty chore. So that first part was really for the religious. or The second part was really for that religious. But the first part, I, I think that's more to us. I think the first part is really what we need to hear. The Sabbath, the stop, the Shabbat, the worshipful rest. That was made for you. It's a gift for you. And every week you skip Sabbath, you leave a gift unopened. I want to finish with the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus said this. Actually, he said this uh, right, right after he did two miracles on the Sabbath. A good portion of Jesus' miracles happened on the Sabbath, which makes me wonder how much do, have we missed not being with Jesus on the Sabbath. Like, it seems like Jesus likes to blow our minds on Sabbath, but too often we just run right through and we miss out on some big things. But Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 11. I just want to read it over us as, as we finish this, this time out. But Jesus said this. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Some of us may know Jesus, but may, we may not know what he's talking about there. And we can find that in resting in Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath. Why do we refuse this commandment? So before we close, I just want to ask you, we always ask ourselves, so what? You know, coming out of the text, God always speaks through his word. How does this transform me? Because God's word is transformational. How does this transform my mind? How does it transform my week this week? And the question that I want to leave you with before signing off is this right here. What needs to happen in your home to observe Sabbath better? What needs to happen in your home? Maybe you need to make corporate worship a bigger priority. Your family's just very inconsistent. You're just very inconsistent with church. And it, 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 it's hurting. And you haven't really realized that yet. Maybe it's making church more of a priority. Maybe it's making a Saturday night dinner where you have that finish line as a family gathering around the table. Maybe it's being more intentional with resting on, on Sunday. Maybe it's guarding it. You know, you try to Sabbath, but, you know, things just get in the way, so you need to guard it. But what needs to happen in your home to observe Sabbath better? And I, I pray you do that. God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this gift that you give us. Uh, we corporately confess right now that so often we leave that gift unopened. And God, we want to learn how to rest in you better. We want to learn what that actually is, that deep state of rest, coming, going into worship, giving up control, and then entering into rest in you. Father, we want that. You designed us to crave that. May we be intentional with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.